Everyone, whether you realize it or not, you have priorities. You think through your day in order of sometimes what's most important or your priority. If you're at work and you're thinking, okay, what do I get accomplished at work? What do you do? You make a list based on the most important thing. It's a priority list, especially if you're like a project manager at, at work or something. You got this big project you got to get done. All right, what's at the top of the list? What's my most important thing I have to get done? If, even if you're at home, you know, as a, as a wife at home or a you know, stay-at-home dad, whatever you might be, and you say, okay, what needs to get done first at this house today? You make that list of priorities to get it accomplished. And we're going to press a little farther into today into Paul's letter to the Colossians as he instructs the Colossians on how to put Jesus first, how to make him a priority. I told you in our first week that one of the problems Paul addressed in his letter is his concern that the culture of Colossae had warped the Colossian believers' understanding of God. You see, Colossae was a famous city in its day for its vast array of temples and superstitions or superstitious practices. It was a virtual golden corral of God options in the first century world. You could find temples or religious practices for whatever you wanted. You know, whether it was better health, fertility, prosperity, protection. So the religious custom of the Colossians was to assemble whatever little package that, of superstitions and rituals you wanted to fit your needs. I called it our first week in the series a Build-A-Bear theology. Just whatever you wanted to kind of throw in there to, to address whatever need you wanted. So the Christians in Colossae understood they were not to worship pagan temples, of course. They got that. They understood it's wrong to go to a pagan temple and worship a pagan God. But that general mentality of religious pluralism had influenced their approach to God. It had kind of seeped into their thinking. So many of them assumed that in addition to their faith in Jesus, you needed other things. You needed other rituals or other practices to gain some spiritual stability or spiritual power. They knew that Jesus was, of course, was essential to the package. You needed him for eternal salvation. You needed him to thrive in life. But you needed other things, too. That was their mindset. They had this warped mindset of God. Furthermore, many of these Colossian Christians had grown up as Jews under the law. So that kind of threw even a different twist on the whole situation. Many of them believed that if you wanted to be really right with and in touch with God's power, you had to observe all of the old Jewish laws and customs. So you had this mix that was thrown into this pot that they're, they're struggling with. Think of it like this. The Colossians had a Jesus and mentality. Jesus and fill in the blank with whatever other thing that they felt like they needed to get through life. They didn't discard Jesus. On the contrary, Paul says in chapter 2 of verse 5 that their faith was strong. They didn't discard him. They just thought that they needed other stuff in addition to Jesus. This is their error. They would say Jesus and the observance of the law or Jesus and the mystic rituals that we have had from our ancestors. They would have this Jesus and 
theology. And Paul's answer to the Colossians is simple and it's emphatic. No. You do not need anything else. Christ is enough. In Christ, he says, we possess the fullness of God. Christ showed the ultimate love, conquered our ultimate enemy, and now sits in the ultimate place of power. So once you have him, you need nothing else. I've seen some, a, a writer of Colossians phrase it this way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we're going to read what Paul says to them in Colossians chapter 2 here to kind of press in a little further here. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Let's stop there. So in other words, once you have the fullness of God in Christ, what else could you lack? What other spiritual blessing or what other portal to blessings would you need? You don't need anything, but once you have Christ, you have the power of God. And then Paul goes and address both those who look to Jewish traditions and those who look to mystical practices to complete their spiritual lives. Let's keep reading verse 16. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. He's referring to the Jewish um, laws there. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon. He's going to the mystical practices there. Or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? His conclusion, chapter 1, verse 3 of this section. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek, he's saying, seek the spiritual things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the ultimate place of power and authority. He's telling us to live life in light of the fact that our Savior now sits in the place of ultimate power in the universe at the right hand of God. So what other help do we need? Nothing. Nothing. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. When he's saying that, he says, when Christ died with him, died all of our attempts at self-salvation. We can't save ourselves. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So that's our, our passage of scripture that we're going to delve into today. So no longer should you be looking to earthly things to make life work. We should look to Christ. We now possess the one who is the fullness of God. He showed the ultimate love, 
He conquered the ultimate enemy, which is death and hell and Satan, and he now sits in the ultimate place of power. What else, Paul is saying, do you need? Nothing. If you have him, you have it all. So I want you guys to say it with me. I'm going to put it back up on the screen. Go ahead and put it back up there, Evan. I want you to get this into your brain today. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Say it with me. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In Jesus, we have everything we need for life. That's the message of Colossians. Now, the, the particular issues the Colossians struggled with and what we struggle with sometimes are a little different and sometimes they're very close to being the same. They were really superstitious. I wouldn't say that we're superstitious in the same way, but we have our own little superstitions. We like to talk about luck a lot, don't we? <laughs> we like to, you know, if you're a sports fan and you have to wear your certain sports jersey when your team plays, or you have to do certain things to, um, you know, at work because you're superstitious. Yeah, we have our own little superstitions in the world, but we typically express a Jesus and mentality by thinking that in order really to make life work in order to be happy and secure we need other things and obedience to our savior to be happy in life just as christians just as a christian doesn't need to have multiple gods they also don't need to have multiple priorities in life we have one god and he is our priority our priority is bringing his name honor, and glory, pleasing him, first and foremost. He is first in everything. He is our priority. The Colossians thought of their lives kind of like in buckets. Over here, you had the eternal salvation bucket, and that was filled by Jesus. You needed him for that. But over here, you had you know, other buckets like provision and satisfaction and a happy marriage and you need other things for that, other things to, to fill that. You know, a happy marriage is you know, filled up with, by vacations and going to the movies and all these other things. And Paul's like, no, 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 there's not multiple buckets. There's one bucket, and it's Jesus, and he fills it all. That's all you need. When it comes to Jesus and mentality, we sometimes all buy into the same Jesus and mentality as the Colossians, and we don't even realize it. I think the primary place we face and express this Jesus and mentality is something that is hard for us, and that's in relation to our money. When it comes to money, people tend to have one of three different relationships with money. I'm going to read these definitions for you. And if this describes the person sitting next to you, you can kind of like gently poke them uh, to kind of let them know this is, this is you. So, all right, here's the first one. This is the spender. These people believe money's greatest value is adding enjoyment today. So they spend their money on consumption, seeking maximum enjoyment in the moment. They may save some if they're responsible. Money is primarily about adding pleasure in the moment Spenders maximize the value today. I know we got some spenders in here. All right. The saver. Saver is someone, by contrast, who thinks that money's greatest value is providing security for tomorrow. Thus, they strive to limit consumption, 
focusing instead on increased wealth accumulation over time. Whereas spenders view money as a tool for pleasure today, savers view money as a tool of security or flexibility for tomorrow. Now we've got some savers in here. All right, here's the last one, a steward. These people see money only as a temporary gift of God to be used for the purposes of God. Sure, they use some money to provide for their own needs, and they save responsibly for the future. But here's the thing, they intentionally limit both consumption and wealth building, focusing instead of giving the most money they can to blessing other people through the kingdom of God. Which one are you naturally? Which one do you fall into? I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you today. And it's going to have three choices. A is your spender, B is your saver, and then C is your steward. So here's number one. I'm going to throw it up there, Evan. When you were a child, what was your tendency with new money you received? To buy new toys or spend on experiences as soon as you got it? To save in a piggy bank or a savings account? To spend on or give to others, your church or charities? Which one was you? I'd say most kids probably fall in number in the, the spender category. Number two, you hear about a man who at 70 has managed his middle class income through meager living and careful savings with a current net worth of $8 million. Your first thought is, what a waste. Spending it would have been so much more fun. Wow, he really did well. I hope I can do that too. Or C, he may have missed some key opportunities to experience the joy of generosity. Number three, success looks like experiencing great food and travel, living comfortably, and driving a luxury car. Or B, retiring at 50. Or C, extending payoff of your mortgage and foregoing some luxuries in order to sponsor a missionary family. Number four, your annual bonus is twice as much as you thought it would be. What do you first think? I'm heading out, shopping, where's that vacation? I'm putting this money on the mortgage. Thank God for this provision. I can't wait to give a chunk of it away. Be a blessing to someone else. Number five, the spending in my life is effortless. I love spending money. Bothersome. I wish I could spend less or I could get my spouse to spend less. Controlled. I feel good about the way that it's managed. The saving, number six, in my life is bothersome. It's an inconvenience that gets in the way of having fun. Effortless. I love building wealth. Or purposeful. I have healthy and reasonable goals to which I am carefully working. Beyond that, I plan to give excess away. Number seven, last one. The giving in my life is obligatory, formulatic, joyfully overflowing. Which one of those is you? You know, Paul goes back to that verse two. He said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Means look at money as neither a satisfaction, which would be the spender, as security, which is the saver, because Christ is both of those things for you, and in looking instead at your money as a temporary tool 
that God has given you for the purposes of his kingdom. Yes, you will use some of your money to take care of your needs, and it will bring some joy into your life. And yes, you will save money for the future, but you will limit both your spending and your saving because you find satisfaction and security both in Christ Jesus. Primarily, you view your money primarily as stewardship given to you by God as a tool for his kingdom. That's how we as Christians should have the relationship with the money that God has given to us. Let me give you a really simple tra translation of what Paul means when he says, set your things on, mind on things above and not things on the earth. Here's another thing if you want to write things down that I want you to get out of today. Live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. Live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. Now, here's the thing I know about you all in here today. You all know that statement to be true. You know that Jesus rules, and you know that eternity is real, that this place is not our home, that we one day, for those of us who have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity either in heaven with Christ or in hell, if we reject the message of, of Christ, you will spend eternity in one of two places. The problem is, even though we know that statement to be true, we are so forgetful of it in the way that we live our lives. And forgetfulness of that, Jesus said, is the primary thing that makes people go awry with their money. Let me give you two quick stories from Jesus really quickly where he makes this point. Jesus had a huge emphasis in his teaching on your relationship between God and money. So he says in Luke chapter 12, and this is a great story. He says, we're going to read just a few verses. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all of my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barn and I will build a bigger one. And there I'll store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to myself, soul, I guess that's the way of talking in the first person, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You had all this wealth. But you didn't know that I was calling you to eternity that very day. Whose wealth is it going to be? You lost on all of the joy and all of the rewards of being a generous steward with what I had given to you. Instead, what did you say? I'm going to stop working. I'm going to build a bigger barn and keep it all for myself. And yet you didn't get to do any with any of it anyways. Man, what is good is 
all of that money, all of that saving, if you enter into eternity and the ultimate existence with nothing, with nothing, with no rewards because you were stingy. You did not give out of what God had given to you. The second parable is really interesting from Luke chapter 16. I'm going to, instead of reading, I'm going to kind of give it to you in my own words, and you can go back and read it. There was once an account manager, you know, think of it maybe like a CFO, for a really rich guy who was given a two-week notice. So he was like, what am I going to do? I have to go, I, I have to go start a new career. I've grown accustomed to drinking $5 Starbucks every day, and there's no way I'm going back to Maxwell House. I, I, what am I going to do? So according to Jesus, he has this brilliant idea. He calls up all of his boss's clients that still owe him money, and the conversation goes like this. I see you owe my boss $100,000. I tell you what, I'm still a CFO right now. If you give me $25,000, we'll call it paid in full. And I'll give you this official debt settled certificate, and we'll call it even. The guy still works for him. He's technically, he's got his two-week notice. He still technically has the authority. Then he tells them, but just remember who took care of you. And the guy, this, Jesus says, the guy goes on to do that with all of his debtors. Jesus then says, what a wise steward. He used an opportunity he knew was coming to, end, to an end to prepare for the future. You know, that seems like a shrewd story that Jesus is telling. You thought, man, I can't believe Jesus is telling this story. It kind of feels almost a little shady somewhat. But do you get the point that Jesus is making here with this story? The point is, if you know your time and your current reality is coming to a quick end, isn't it wise to use the resources that God has given for you now to prepare for a coming reality? We know that eternity is a coming reality that we must prepare for now. In other words, if we know eternity is real and it is coming, and that compared to eternity, this life is like a vapor, isn't it wise to leverage the resources, the blessings that we have now to prepare for eternity in the future? That's what Jesus is saying. Set your mind not on things here on this earth, as he told Colossians, but on things above. You know, let me, let me kind of explain it this way. Imagine I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And as a part of my stay, I said, you know what? This room looks a little drab. Let me go down to... Um, Osceola Parkway, let me get the, whatever the furniture store is down there by the loop. I'm going to get some new furniture for this place. I'm going to bring in and install a nice granite countertop into this Holiday Inn Express. Oh, they need a new refrigerator. Let me go ahead and get a new little you know, refrigerator installed here. I mean, this mattress, it's hard. I don't like sleeping on this mattress at this, this Holiday Inn Express. Let me go get a nice, brand new, like, therapeutic mattress that I can throw on this bed. I'm sure the hotel manager would be like, thanks. It's nice that you like gave me all this, you know, my, my room, all this nice stuff. But why would you do that when you're only staying here one night? Why are you investing all of this money in a hotel room that you're here only one night? Think of our lives that same way. Why are we 
not focusing on a reality of eternity to come and putting all of the resources here today. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. In, that, in other words, what lasts? What matters? What is going to matter in regards to your money a hundred years from today, from 10,000 years from today? The kind of car you drove? Nope. The neighborhood you lived in? Nope. Live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. We know both of those things to be true, don't we? We do. Live as if Jesus is real. As, as if Jesus rules and eternity is real. The old saying, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only two things in life are truly eternal. The kingdom of God and the souls of men. Those missionaries in the early 90s that went, left the comforts of America to go to a fallen country of Ukraine, I can tell you that the rewards that they're receiving in heaven today are real. Are real for the sacrifice that they made. The people who gave sitting in the seats in America to make it possible for those people to go to Ukraine back in the 90s. They're receiving the rewards today because they invested in the kingdom of God and the lives of men and women back then. You know, we have this saying in America today, YOLO. YOLO, I'm going to YOLO it. That's, you know, a lot of your spenders say that. YOLO, I'm just going to, you know, what does YOLO mean? Tell me, you guys know, what does YOLO mean? You only live once. That's, that's the, the, the saying of today. And I'm, I'm going to say, let's change that. Let's change that to YALF. <laughs> YALF. You actually live forever. You actually live forever. We like to think YOLO is you only live once. Let's do it now. Let's spend it all now. Let's just go all in now. And we forget that Jesus rules and eternity is real. And we will live forever. You ever played Monopoly? Any Monopoly players in here? You got a few of them, a few board game people. What happens when it's all done? It all gets packed up and goes back in the box, doesn't it? Doesn't matter how much you had, whether you owned Boardwalk, or whether you had Crody Baltic Avenue or whatever that is on the bottom of the board, it doesn't matter, does it? In the end, you just dump it all back in the box. It's all over. I've got a re revelation for you. This thing called life might feel as long as Monopoly game, but in the end, all of that money you, you have, it all just goes back in the box. This goes back in the box. It's temporary. Paul says to the Colossians, you have one choice to make. You can live as if Jesus rules and eternity is real, or you can be sufficient to save yourselves and go into eternity with nothing. There's clearly a wiser choice. He says, my money is on Jesus. Verse 4 of chapter 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. 
So, church, our goal here is not to, we don't, I, I've said this before, we don't want your money, but we want you to have a giving heart. We want your heart to go from this to this, because that is how God designed us to be. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of the rest of these things will be added unto you. I want us to make a commitment. Put away trust in earthly things to make that we think makes life work our Jesus and mentality, and set your minds on Christ. Why? Because Jesus rules and eternity is real. Put him first and let him take care of everything. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please shoot us an email at info at mybethel.cc.